Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says that I know I have a sexual addiction and I've listened to your show and I've heard that there are things that I can do, but I really need a formula, a formula to make it work. Well, if you're listening to this show and you are looking for a formula to make sexual addiction better, you're at the right place. You know, I am Carol Jorgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and it is my job to make this as simple as possible. And yet what I know about a process addiction, a.k.a. sexual addiction, is that it isn't simple. The formulas are simple, but doing the work takes a lot of discipline. It takes a desire to change. Do you have that? Is that what you want for your life? If you do, oh my goodness, this can be very simple because when you do the right things, they work. That's my promise to you. You can make your life better. And you know I've been on the air now for four and a half years. I know what I'm talking about. And I work with people all day long that either are surrendering to this process and are doing really well. They're, if I may be so bold, half-ass working it, and it's not working so well. Or they're fighting it, and they're making progress, but it is not as easy as you would think it is, or should be. So come on, i got to ask you, if you want this thing to work, can't you get in the mindset where you say, I will do whatever it takes to make my life better. I will do whatever it takes to make my wife or husband trust me again. I will work on the relationship skills that 100% make a difference in our relationship. So, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to change to make your life better? And you know I talk about the recovery tools, and you know I talk about the recovery point sheet, And tonight, we're actually going to be talking about something a little bit deeper. And, I mean, any couple could listen to this podcast and benefit from it because we're going to be talking about how do you develop closeness when there's been a betrayal in your life. I mean, I work with people all day long that are not sex addicts, 
but there was betrayal in their relationship because having an affair was affordable, accessible, and anonymous until they made the choice to share it with their partner. Now, that's what we say about sex addiction, but truly... I have a lot of people that come in and they go, I think I have a sex addiction. And when I really interview them, it's because they've had two affairs. Two affairs is not a sex addiction. A sex addiction is when you have a compulsion to continue your behavior despite the fact that it's disruptive and you can't stop and it increases in intensity and frequency And it makes you hate yourself, and it interferes with your relationship. And literally, it delves into one of ten types of sexual addiction, whether that be fantasy, whether that be pornography, exhibitionism, voyeurism, frauderism, uh, exploitation, bartering, trading for sex. You know, for some of you, you may just have had an affair. But I'm glad you're here anyway because I promise you that the information that I give you will help you to be a better person, to live a better recovery, and to develop the closeness that you so deserve. Okay? And tonight we're going to be talking with a client who has really worked hard on something called Intimacy anorexia. And intimacy anorexia is when you have in your relationship an inability to get close because of the betrayal or because of past traumas. And so we're going to be talking to a man who has really researched this, he has lived it, he has worked it in his own marriage, and he's going to give us the bullet points to what does it take to get better. And that really is what life is all about. What does it take to get better so that you live a life where you're proud of who you are? If you have a partner, you feel fortunate to get to improve that relationship. If you don't have a partner, then you've got to form other relationships that bring you great satisfaction. You know, not everybody has to have a relationship, but I've got to tell you, it is key to wanting to change yourself to be the best person possible. So if I've got sex addicts out there that don't have anybody in their life, stick around. These are all tips that you can use to enhance your relationships at work, with your family, with your friends. I mean, it's Relationship 101 tonight. And if you have a loved one that you're working diligently on rebuilding that relationship and making your life better, um, this is a show that will help you to do that. Because I'll tell you, intimacy anorexia, um, that means that there is no closeness, there's no vulnerability, there's no receiving and giving, and as a result, what that means is that you're living in a shallow relationship that still really desires um a closeness, because here, here's what I know to be true. We all want to be close. We all want to be able to count on each other. Now, now I'll just share something with you. I, um, I have a place in Florida, and you know from last weekend uh, that there was a lot of damage done to our Florida homes. And it's hard to be 500, 800, 1,000 miles away and not know what is going on. You have to really depend on people. And what I know to be true is that I do want to, to be with people that can help me to feel better about 
my situation. Is this something that equates to what you have lost in your relationship? Oh, probably not. But the important part is that you feel comfortable receiving closeness that we all deserve. You know, so many of us have grown up in families where we really didn't have an opportunity to feel close. Our parents, although they did the best that they could, they really were not able to reaffirm us as kids, identify our strengths. They weren't able to give us what we needed to build strong character. And when that happens, it can be very difficult to know who we are and whether we are deserving of what life has to offer. Now, what I know to be true is that we all deserve, all of us deserve to really Take in what people have to offer us. And it's very interesting because that can be very uncomfortable. And the reason is that people don't invest in each other. They really look at surviving on their own. And what I know is that part of living life is really taking in and accepting what people have to offer us. And wow, that is amazing when we can do that. It can feel very uncomfortable for you to accept somebody's praise. Um, for you to accept that somebody would give to you. And yet, is the key to life, being able to give and take. And more often than not, to be able to take in all the things that somebody wants to do. You know, I mean, when's the last time you were around somebody who said, wow, i got to tell you, you know, you're amazing, and I so appreciate what you do or who you are or what you have to give. When was the last time somebody sang your praises? that can be very, very difficult to both take in and to be able to accept. You know, our parents have taught us, hey, listen, you need to be humble. And I'm a believer in tooting your own horn. I'm a believer in knowing how we show up in life, and accepting everything that people have to give us. I'm going to ask you, what do you think? Are you able to accept what people have to say? Are you able to Take it in and believe it about yourself. Mm-hmm. Because truly, that's what life is all about. It is about knowing your strengths and believing that you really are deserving of that confidence that comes with knowing your strengths. 
All right. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You know that I have oftentimes said to you, hey, you need to own your power. You need to know what is it about you that absolutely feels good about your your sense of self. Because, you know, when we're talking about intimacy, you've got to be able to know how you come to the plate and what you have to offer. And when you do, I promise you that you will have more to offer in your relationship. Now, you don't want to be cocky and... You know, I know a lot of people say that, hey, sex addicts are narcissistic. They really have inflated senses of self. But what I know to be true is even with narcissism, that means that oftentimes you feel wounded. And as a result, you don't really know where you stand. You don't necessarily know who you are, and the reason is you didn't have that childhood foundation where you could count on people, where you knew what to believe about yourself. And what I want to believe is that you can get that. You really can get that. And here's what I know can be very, very difficult. And at the same time, it makes all the difference in the world in being able to be there for your partner. When you know who you are and when you know what gifts you bring to the table, you can give that to your partner. And you can make a very smart choice in terms of giving your partner those things that your partner needs. And that is the first step to developing true closeness and to being able to connect. And if you've ever heard my show, you know that the antidote to sexual addiction is connection. And that's why we are talking about intimacy, anorexia tonight, and emotional closeness So I want to welcome you to the show. We've got an expert because he has lived it, he has read it, he has studied it, and he's trained with some of the greatest. Rob, welcome to the show tonight. Hi, Carol. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I am so happy to have you on. Now, what would you say for you is the definition of intimacy anorexia? Well, I would say the the uh, definition of intimacy anorexia for me is that those people that are in our most intimate relationships, for some reason or another, we don't feel safe with those people, so we create space between them rather than intimacy. Okay, so... It makes sense that if we're talking about partners of sex addicts, because they've been betrayed, they don't necessarily feel safe, so they create a distance to protect themselves. And it also makes sense that sex addicts oftentimes don't feel worthy of true love, and so they find all sorts of ways to to fill that that void, which then creates more of a void that feeds into intimacy anorexia. So can you share a little bit about your story? What contributed to your intimacy anorexia? Okay, as I was growing up, uh, a lot of this had to do with the traumas and such that I suffered when I was younger. I grew up with a very verbally um, abusive household um, and I was also expected to be um, to do work that at a very young age I was around older people that expected me to act like an adult when I really wasn't. And so there was a lot of pain in my life from people that was very close to me that 
I wouldn't say they they didn't necessarily they weren't trying to hurt me or anything, but the action the actions that they took, the words they used, the things they did to me uh, created a fearful situation where um, I never felt worthy enough. I never felt like I was. Um, I just didn't feel safe around those people that were closest to me. I had a lot of issues that involved being uh, used for other people's emotional well-being rather than uh, nurtured and take care of for myself. And that felt very, it just felt wrong like it wasn't wasn't meant to be. And, and we're talking at an age of 11, 12 years old and meshment where I was, Supposed emotionally supportive of other adults, which I really is not a place for an 11 and 12 year old to be. So I didn't really recognize it or understand it at the time, and I sure, certainly didn't understand that that part of my life was making me react during my marriage. But it really caused a lot of uh, fear in me that that people, when they got very close to me, were going to hurt me, and so that's why I pushed away for those people that was closest to me. Okay, and how long were you in active addiction? I would say probably 30 years. Um, If you consider um, active addiction being uh, masturbation, pornography, and that such such of uh, addiction, at least uh, 30 years. Okay, and so clearly, what was your journey to getting healthy and to being able to find emotional closeness? Well, I started looking at uh, first, uh, the first step of it probably was uh, finding some grace from some people and and realizing first that I'm not the only one, that there are other guys that have very similar stories, that have very similar um, fears of mine, and they were able to overcome those things, and they were able to uh, get better. So that was the first step is realizing there's somebody else other than me. And then the sec- the next part of that was doing the deep work to recognize the where the fear comes from and that a lot of those feelings that I had of unsafeness were a lie, that I was worthy of love, that I was worthy of being close to people, and that not everybody that would get close to me is going to hurt me. Okay, so very clearly you figured out that not everybody that was going to get close to you would hurt you because it did seem like growing up as a kid, um, being a younger child, you had older siblings and family members that um, did not treat you age appropriately. As a matter of fact, they kind of took... um, they took happiness in exposing you to things that you shouldn't have been exposed to at an early age. Yeah, my my brother was seven years older than me. Uh, I grew up on a farm, so I was uh, doing my my part on the farm when I was 11, 12 years old, driving stuff, tractors, trucks, stuff on the road, taking care of my responsibilities on the farm. And then my brother was in his late teens, exposing me to um, women and drinking, and I was drinking about 14. So, yeah, I was living uh, more of an adult lifestyle before I even had my license in a lot of people. Um, And so when I would react like a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old, I would get uh, made fun of and picked on and... You know, so I just didn't feel I was worthy enough. And it took a lot of work, a lot of uh, going to 12-step meetings, uh, working my 12-step program, um, and a lot of spiritual work 
was involved in in finding that place of worthiness for myself to uh, be able to uh, lean in. And it was scary at first to actually, uh, what we say is lean into somebody because having a angry household at me because of the things that I've done, but still have to lean in and reach for closeness um, was a hurdle to overcome. But it started in the in the community I was involved with and being uh, more intimate with the uh, guys in my 12-step groups and, and sharing with them and finding out uh, that they had love and compassion for me. And that's really what started my journey and still working on it. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that because very clearly we have a lot of single sex addicts that may not be in a partnership, and they may say, well, why would I listen to this show? But truly, when you get with a group of people that care about you unconditionally, they don't judge you, they want to help you, they also want you to help them, you're creating that family of choice that makes a difference in how you feel about yourself and in your sense of safety. And that's what you needed to be safe. Would you agree? Yeah, I did. I, I needed to re-mentor myself, re-nurture myself, and the guys in the in the group were able to do that for me. Um, and, it's not, and it's not just that they have accountability also. Um, I also needed accountability. So when my thinking wasn't quite right, um, they could tell me, hey, I think this might not be the, you know, the right kind of path you want to take. Um, but above and above all of it was the amount of compassion I got from the guys in the in the community and the feeling that I was worthy enough to overcome this addiction, um, feeling I was worthy enough to lean into intimacy toward people, to open up and to be vulnerable. Because really when we're talking about intimacy, we're talking about vulnerability. And to be vulnerable to another person, um, to sit and tell my entire story, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, and then those guys to give me a hug afterwards and say, yeah, me too, on this part of the story, and me too on that part of the story. It's It breaks down barriers that had been up in my life for a very long time. And so, Rob, would you be willing to share what your definition is of vulnerability? Vulnerability to me means to open up and share the entire truth, the whole truth, and everything about the truth, with another person without having any motive whatsoever other than to share and open your heart up and pour it out to them. And to not expect, not have expectations of how they're going to react, but just open up and share with them. Yeah, and, you know, you grew up in a family and among friends and family where you really couldn't be vulnerable. So are you saying the fellowship in SAA or SA helped you to develop vulnerability because these people knew how you felt and didn't judge you and wanted to help you and care about you? Absolutely it does. I, I grew up in a family that I never cried Um I'd get picked on if I did. And we suppressed emotion. Um, it was a, a lot of, uh, I was around a lot of alpha males my whole life. Um, I wrestled for 13 years, um, did sports, um, fights, and this and that. And it was just that male bravado environment that I grew up in. Um, and to go into these groups and cry in front of other men is something I would have never thought I was capable of doing. But it's been really good for me to do that and to shed tears with other men and to really express how I felt from the inside and what my worst fears were and what my darkest 
times of my life were in, in my most um, shameful thoughts that I've had in my head and, and the shameful things that I've done with other men and then still be accepted by them, um, there's quite a bit of power in that. Yeah, absolutely. I bet there is a lot of power because truly, when you can be your authentic self and not fear judgment and be accepted for that, it reinforces that sense of, yeah, I am okay exactly as I am. I'm glad you mentioned that because really being my authentic self is where this intimacy and erected journey has kind of been taking me. I use a a number of different types of behaviors to create space with other people so that I did not have to reveal who my authentic self is. And now that I'm trying not to do that, I get to be myself all the time in front of people, and I don't have to hide it. I don't have to make up a story about it. I can just be my most authentic self and be vulnerable that that authentic self that I have is good enough and that's a that's really kind of where the intimacy anorexia for me came from was a place of never feeling that my authentic self would be accepted and would be good enough and when you get to that point where you can accept yourself then you can share with other people it's still it's still scary at times but at least I don't have to project any any other kind of an image to other people. I am who I am, so to speak. So, of course, I'm going to ask you right now, um, describe who you are today after, gosh, over a couple years of good, solid recovery. I believe myself to be a compassionate person who has a heart that loves other people. And I... I believe I want to help those people that feel that they've been kind of forgotten by society. I believe I'm fair with people. I believe that my best self is a loving person who chooses to love other people for who they are, even if they're different from me. Um to be non-judgmental toward people, and I'm a very spiritual person now. I used to not be so, but through this process, I trust my higher power with everything in my life, and so I go to meditation, I go to prayer daily, and, you know, my cornerstone of who my being is is my spirituality and where I come from and the gifts that I believe that God's given me. Well, I know that you um, not only believe in a higher power through your program, but you are very spiritual. Can you go over the 10 recovery tools of your sexual addiction and how you apply them to your life? Well, I have a a checklist I do each day. Um, So I pray in the morning. I pray in the evening. Um, I, for my intimacy anorexia, one of the tools I use is what we call our three dailies, which um, I call a fear. And I, co- I do it with my wife if she's available or uh, willing to. Uh, but we share two emotions of the day. We share two feelings um, and we two praises toward each other. And then um, we pray together. Another tool I use is I, I monitor... Um, whether I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, I try not to be more than two of those things a day. Um, I read recovery material every day. I read something for me just, I like to read, so I'll read something for fun, whether it's a novel or something else. And along with my recovery, I read every day. Um, I also uh, journal every day. uh, And... I also work my step program every day. And see, uh, oh, I self-nurture. I find something to do every day that is self-nurturing, but, and sometimes that is uh, just, you know, reading a novel. 
could be self-nurturing. Watching a movie could be self-nurturing. Sitting back and closing my eyes and listening to my favorite kind of music um, is something that's self-nurturing. But I try to find something to do, and it's different for everybody. you, you got to find your own thing that makes you feel good. Um, and I try to do that each day, and I monitor all that stuff every day. Okay, so oh. now you how did you learn about intimacy anorexia and what are the steps that you take to really work on that with your spouse? Well, I went to an intensive um in Colorado with Doug Weiss and me and my wife went there for five days. Um we each had sessions with them and then did uh some work together. That's where the three dailies came from. The two feelings we share a day, two praises we share a day, and then we pray together. That's something that we've worked on um, with each other. I don't, I don't run away anymore when she has emotional issues she wants to deal with. I lean into it. I listen to her. Um, we worked on that, um, and I read his book about intimacy anorexia and I'm work, currently working through his steps and I, with a call-in meeting out there and I'm treating it as any other addiction it is and I'm working my 12 steps through it and uh, putting the same process to that that I put through the sex addiction and so he's got a workbook I work through, and there's exercises about um, sharing vulnerability with my spouse, um, telling her my fears, uh, telling her when I'm upset, um, but also telling her what brings me joy and the things that I that I like. Uh, okay, and so clearly. That's part of that vulnerability. When you share things that are important to you or things that bring you joy, you're sharing that part of yourself that she may not understand or that she may laugh at, and you're just taking that risk because it is who you are. Yeah, I used to really be worried that some of the things that I had, I would admit that she would. She would laugh at them or think that's stupid, you know. But you know, I can I get a choice. I get to be stupid if I want, <laughs> and I found that that's not really been the case at all. That when I've shared things like that with her, she's been more than supportive of those things. Yeah, I get that. And so, when you did this intimacy anorexia workshop with Doug Wise, you had to read the book, and then you you were given certain tools, and you called them the dailies. And would you go over them again? Tell our listening audience what kinds of things you share with each other and how you do that. Okay, so we'll take an example, and I'll do one of these. So one of the feelings, we'll say, uh, we'll pick a sad, and I'll say, well, I was, I feel sad when I see the devastation that's happened in the hurricane. Okay, and that might spark off a conversation. But then I follow that up with something from the past, from before I was 18 years old. And I say, well, I first remember feeling sad when I was a little boy and, you know, my favorite dog, Scooter, died. And those uh, those sharing those feelings sometimes create uh, good conversations with us about emotions because I really didn't know how to talk about emotions. And hard to believe I was married for that long and didn't know how to talk about emotions, but that's true. And then when we, when I would praise something, you know, I really, I would tell her something, you know, I, I really uh, like it, you know, when you take my daughter, our daughter to school every day so that she doesn't have to ride the bus, you know, and, and you're always there for her every day to pick her up, you know. So I would share something that's a genuine praise for something that I appreciate about her. Yeah, and then I we would think... pray together. Oh, you pray together. Okay, say a little bit about yeah. that. 
Well, I found the longer we did our dailies, I would find out more about her when we prayed together than anything else. Because for some reason, when we speak to God, we speak the truth. And so, to me, I I love that part of it, and it was very insightful for me. Well, and actually, it seems like about the same time you were doing your intimacy anorexia, you also found a church and a pastor and a whole doctrine that you could believe in. Now, do you think that was a coincidence, or do you think that's part of the promises of the program of sexual addiction? It is part of the promises to the program because I had a... I had certain personal opinions of religion as I grew up, and I've seen some people that I um, I did admire, and so I made my own decision up and followed my own self, and kind of as an addict made myself God and made everybody in my family worship me. And through the process of finding out that, yeah, there is a God, and it's not me, um, in my recovery, I became more open, and, you know, that led to a little bit different, a little bit different acceptance of people for who they are, and that also led me to find, uh, to follow my wife, I can't say I found it, my wife found a, a church and a pastor and just a congregation that I just fell in love with, I love these people, they're, they're real, and, and they make me feel good, and, um, but they challenged me at the same time, and uh, and they they follow along with what's in my heart to helping people, and they're really there to help other people, and so that all kind of happened because of my willingness to be open, and because of what I the work I did with Doug Wise and the willingness to be vulnerable, I was able to open up to the pastor and the youth minister and be vulnerable and actually tell them my story. And I got a level of acceptance that I never would have got if I wasn't totally vulnerable. And, you know, I know that truly I said that the antidote for for sex addiction is connection, but the ultimate connection is with the higher power. And although you really did believe in a higher power, it's been so rewarding to see you get to be with a group of people who encourage that in a different way than your fellowship through SAA. So it's like from every different direction, you're getting reinforced to develop your relationship with your higher power, which combats um, intimacy anorexia because if one thing we know to be true is with your higher power you can absolutely be exactly who you are yeah and, and I found you know I found a lot of grace for who I was and one of the things about all addictions is isolation in it and I didn't recognize what I found out in Colorado is you know I had addressed my sex addiction first, and then I found out about my problems with intimacy later. But what I really found out that my problems was the intimacy. The the core addiction, I would say, for me is my intimacy anorexia. And the intimacy was what kept me isolated. And that isolation created the, uh, a lot of problems that led to the sex addiction. And had it not been addressed, the intimacy part addressed, where I could open up and be in a larger community of people and make bigger connections, I don't know how long the recovery, how difficult it would have been for the sex addiction recovery. It just made that that recovery so much more easier by opening up with the intimacy. Yeah, and, again, you were open to seeing all of that. I mean, ask God to direct you, and when you get information, you take it in, 
and it's more evidence that you're on the right path. Now, let me ask you, if there was one thing right now that you would want for your marriage so that you could take your relationship to the next level, what would it be? Uh, For my wife to feel as comfortable being as vulnerable as I do. And I know she's not comfortable being vulnerable because she still has a lot of fear surrounding me. And it's justified. Um, I caused it. Um, But, yeah, that would be my one wish, is that she would feel as safe being vulnerable as I do. Okay. And so someday, if you keep plugging away at this, there is a chance that you will, she'll experience that, and then you can have that really deep connection because obviously when somebody becomes vulnerable and they're willing to trust, that connection deepens. Now, that's on a good note. What happens if a significant other, a relationship, just isn't isn't in that same place? They can't do that. Then how would you reckon that? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not there yet. Um, I have faith that uh, God can do great things. Uh, the bottom line is I have to still be me regardless. If Even if the relationship doesn't survive, um, I still have to lean in. Like I said, when my wife doesn't feel safe enough to do our dailies, I do them with a peer, um, with someone in the group. I still do my dailies. And even if I don't have anybody, I write them down. I still reach out to people. I'm still vulnerable. And I still stay in connection with people, and I don't go back to isolation. Um, So that would be my answer for that. Well, you know, I, I love that because let me tell you what I believe. I believe that when you're doing the... When you're doing the work that you're supposed to and you're accessing the tools that you have available to you and, um, you know, like you said, if your wife's not available, you still do the work, but you do it with somebody else. And what we know is that that amygdala back in the back of the brain, that primal area, it really doesn't know the difference. So it doesn't even though you consciously know, I'm not talking to my wife right now, I'm talking to my buddy. The amygdala doesn't know that. So your relationship skills get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's really what you want to do to evolve into the person that you want to be. And you've worked really, really hard at that. And Here's what I also think. I, I truly believe that you're going to get what you need because you're working it. And the more you work it, the more I believe God will work in your favor and will figure out how to get you what you need. We hope it's with your wife. I mean, that's the most sacred relationship that you can have. And I know you love her dearly and deeply, and you want it more than anything with her. Um, and she's an amazing person. We won't say, uh, we won't violate any of her confidentialities, but truly, she's been through a lot, and she and you are on different paths, and it takes people different amounts of time to grow. And so you're just going to keep the faith that God is taking you forward and taking you that next right step. Yeah, I am. And I I will add, too, that when I started doing these with a peer, even when my wife didn't feel like it, he liked it so much that we still do it. So a lot of days I'll do it both with my wife and a peer, my dailies, because he he enjoyed the exercise so much that we continue to do it regardless of whether I do it with my wife or not because it's helping him too. Wow. So you not only do it with your wife, but you do it with your peer if he's available. You do it with your wife if she's available, and sometimes you do it twice. And that that has to double 
your relationship skills. So I can really appreciate how hard you work on your relationship skills, but really it's your skills, isn't it? It's your sense of self. Yeah, it is. And it's growing into who I wish wish myself to be. So if before we end, what do you think is the most important contribution you have gotten from working on intimacy anorexia? What would you tell our listeners out there who may go, yeah, I want more closeness in my relationship, and right now, you know, we face the other side in bed, we don't talk, we're not vulnerable, it's hard to love each other. I would say uh, first and foremost is probably the knowledge of the game that I was playing. I didn't even recognize the game I was playing, but I would blame her for things. I would criticize. I would withhold love. I would withhold sex. I was doing a lot of different things, and everybody was wanting to focus on behaviors. But really what I found out was the name of the game is space. It doesn't matter what the behavior is. If you're creating space between you and your spouse, you're... Doing it, you're doing it's in the intimacy anorexia, and it's like all of the all of the tactics and all of the behaviors are the plays, but the game you're playing is creating space. And so the biggest thing that I've learned is to I've heard the term of leaning in, but what I really found to be true is that there's a number of behaviors you can do that create space between you and your spouse and if that's what you're doing you're not helping your relationship that the, the actions that you take should create closeness and and to remember that it's it's space is the game it's it's not the behaviors it's the creating space that's really what you got to look at and so when you do something you think well I'm okay I this isn't bad ask yourself did I did what I do create space with between me and my spouse, or did it bring us closer together? And that's really kind of the the measuring stick to put things up to. Well, absolutely. And when you say creating space, what would that look like? Uh, I don't I don't talk to my wife off the word, um, and so she feels that. Uh, she feels that she did something wrong or she wasn't, she, you know, she didn't have, she wasn't in a good, she wasn't in a good enough mood for me. Or I say something that makes her feel like I blame her for something and so she gets mad and then I, I, I get to be the good guy because she got mad and yelled at me and I didn't say anything that was really bad. Um, so as an example, I could get, I could say something like, you know the the food. You know I, the food wasn't as uh, you know maybe a letting my my wife's a great cook, so I'm gonna start by saying that she's a fantastic cook. But let's say I complain about something I ate at night. I say, well, it just wasn't like it was last time. You know, simple statement. I think it's truth, but it hurts her feelings, and so she's like, well, what was wrong with it? And so I take it that she's being angry at me, and so my wife's mad at me, so I'm gonna go pout or I'm going to go watch the ball game or something to that effect. And it's not my fault. I just told her the truth, but she got angry about it. So I'm blaming her for her anger, but I get to have the space that I wanted. I get to go off and be isolated by myself, and I don't have to talk to my wife. When the truth of the fact was I should have leaned in and asked, well, I'm sorry, did I make you angry? Um, you know, or, or I would have talked about it, you know, why? You know, I didn't mean anything by it or explain myself. That's the difference between leaning in and creating space. Creating space, I use her anger to go run off to be by myself. Leaning in would be I would explore her anger and ask her why she was angry. And, she said, and you know, she could explain to me, well, what you said was very hurtful. But then I could explain why well, I didn't mean to hurt you, but it's just, you know, last time it was fantastic or something. Well, you know, it's taking that risk. You know, when you say vulnerability, I say to myself, gosh, vulnerability means you take the risk to find out more information about what's going on. And certainly when you take that risk 
then oftentimes what ends up transpiring is you can get hurt. But at the same time, as an emotionally mature person, what you find is that when you take that risk, you get more information so that you can better understand your partner. And it's not as much of a risk as it feels like it could be. And that is really what you have learned in your relationship with your wife. Would you not agree? Yeah, I'll agree with that because the risk would be I would she would be angry and I would ask her about her anger and she would say, because you're a jerk, and that would be hurtful to me. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the risk you're taking, but that's not necessarily usually the case. Um, but that was from those were past hurts from me that I have to overcome. Yeah, and again, those hurts occurred way before you even met her. Yeah, absolutely. They have nothing to do with her. So as we end for tonight, is there anything that you would encourage our listening audience to do to to better um, enhance their own life and their relationships? Have courage to lean into vulnerability. Um, being your authentic self and being vulnerable is where the joy in life comes from. It it doesn't come from isolation and hiding from people. If you have the courage to reach out with that joy, um, the promise of happen and it will come back to you to uh, reward you. Oh, I get that. And so... You would have them have that courage to take take that risk and be vulnerable. And the book that Doug Weiss wrote, can you repeat that again? Uh, it's, I believe the title of it is Intimacy Anorexia. Um, if you, go, you got it. From, a, yeah, if you go into heart-to-heart counseling, it's all on there. Okay, and that is Doug Weiss's counseling site. And you actually spend how many days with him? Uh, Five days. Okay, and that was with your wife? Yes, both of us were out there together. And I've had several clients who have done his retreat, and, wow, it's been a game changer in terms of how people relate to each other. And... um, that's what life's all about. It's leaning into that closeness and taking those risks and being vulnerable. So, Rob, I thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listening audience tonight, and uh, I wish you the best in terms of your relationship with yourself, with your fellowship, with your wife, with your kids, and really with your higher power. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure being on tonight. All right. You take care and have a great one. Okay, so here we are. We have definitely worked with Rob to understand how he could work with emotional and intimacy anorexia to get closer so that he can truly make a difference in the lives of anybody that he works with. And as you've heard, you know, when his wife isn't available, he is able to do it with another person in the fellowship, and that makes all the difference in the world. Okay, so I just want to encourage you. You know, I always say at the end of every show, I want you to have the courage to be yourself. And what that truly means is take the risk, be vulnerable, and lean into that connection with the people you love. You have a great week, and we'll see you next next time for Sex Help with Carol the Coach. We'll talk again real soon. Have a great week. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.